You know, we've been thinking about minority representation in film and television. The value that people place on those movies and television shows that include minorities. It's 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 kind of like what image are we presenting in film and and television? I want to see something that represents and reflects the things that I see in my own life. Continuously watching struggle stories of minorities doesn't exactly help. Not that those stories aren't valid, but those aren't the majority of our stories. We lead lives that are deeper than struggle stories. So it's it's the value that we ourselves as viewers place on the content that we watch, but it's also about the value that the film industry places on the content that's produced. You know, when we watch TV shows and movies, we put certain values on characters and content and storyline. It's sort of like the relevance of them, right? How do they how do we relate to those aspects of the film or the television show? From the point of view to kind of the inside looking out, which is directors, producers, everybody in the film industry saying, well, if we do this, who's going to watch it, right? The decision-making, the decision of do we cast this character as a minority just for the sake of us needing minority, or is it because this person really fits the bill for this role? So, I mean, in a way, it seems like you're kind of asking who makes these decisions. I mean, in a way, we do know, right? It comes from the top down. Well, I mean, of course, it comes from the top down. It's about are we including minorities for the sake of inclusion, just to say that we we have minorities in this film or in this show? Or is it because it's integral to the story? Or is it because I'm casting people based on talent and I don't care what they look like or what they sound like? Sometimes these things make or break the film. It's important to know the motivations of casting. Well, it is, but at the same time, I think in some ways it isn't. It's it's a very weird thing because I don't watch films and TV shows because there are minorities in them. That's that's not my motivation. I watch them because I think they're good and I want to see them. Now, if I watch a show and the character feels as though they're just thrown in just to fill like a quota of minorities that need to be represented on television... No, I'm not happy. I can kind of tell. I feel like other people can kind of tell. You know, you don't get to know too much about the character. They're just there for show. Right. As opposed to, right, as opposed to a character with a deep storyline that's integral to the story, then you're like, okay, they're really a part of the show. They're really a part of the movie. And I can sense that. I can feel it. Other people can feel it as well. Like, it's just something that you know. Yeah, you can sense if it's forced or not, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this situation of films and TV shows that are a majority minority casting. And the story is, you know, a more, it's a more specific story, right? It relates more to a particular community of people. And by minorities, we don't necessarily mean like black and brown people. I mean, we could be women. It could be LGBTQ. It could be whatever. Okay, And I think that, you know, when you do see those stories, does it scare people? Do do other people say, well, okay, maybe that's not for me. 
because it seems to be geared towards a particular group of people. Like in my experience, I don't care. I don't care if it's good. I'm going to watch it. And in terms of different backgrounds or different cultures, our instinct is to point out the differences, then look at the similarities. And I think that goes with shows too, right? Like you see the first difference and like, I can't relate to that. So I'm not going to relate to anything in the show. So you just move on. To learn more about how minorities are represented in film and TV, we spoke to Kristen Maldonado. Kristen is a TV and film critic, content creator, writer, producer, and podcaster. She also has her own YouTube channel where she talks about creating an inclusive community in the entertainment industry. And her podcast, Pop Culture Planet, talks about pop culture discussions and having diverse voices in film and TV. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. Yeah, doing, doing pretty well. Yeah. And yeah. you? I'm good. I'm good. Ready to ready to chat. Kristen, could you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. My name is Kristen Maldonado. I am a TV and film critic, and I host a podcast called Pop Culture Planet, which is all about like representation and inclusion in the entertainment space. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's what we want to talk about today, really. You know, we really wanted to have a conversation about minority representation on television and film. And a lot of times you see shows with minority characters and storylines, but they don't always last too long, right? Sometimes they're short-lived. Sometimes, you know, after a season or two, they get the axe. And then it seems like the networks move on. What, I guess, has been your experience in terms of you know, minority representation in film and television? Well, I feel like as I've gotten older, I've just like realized how much it actually like impacts me as a person and how it like makes me feel when I see someone that I connect with or that basically someone that I connect with in this light that we've never seen them in before. Especially like weirdly enough in the pandemic, just watching more television and movies, you know, I feel like I found myself connecting with certain characters or certain projects and then it gets canceled and I'm like, what? You know, why? My heart? Or even now that like we're sort of exiting the pandemic a bit and especially in like Broadway, like seeing people being cast in roles that like we haven't really gotten a chance to see them in before and being like, wait, that's possible. Like I could quote unquote do that or be that. The example I keep bringing up is that um, in the Legally Blonde productions that they're doing across like the world. They've been casting a lot of Black women as Elle Woods lately. And I'm like, that's incredible. And like, why have we not seen that before? Like, why did that, you know, why does it feel so limiting of, oh, a blonde woman needs, you know, so it needs to be a white woman? No, like anybody could be blonde, you know? (laughs) Um, So like the fact that, you know, we're starting to see that even just opens up my eyes to like, look at what's possible. And like the fact that people can see themselves in other spaces and like not only maybe seeing themselves as Elle Woods, but being like, hey, maybe outside of just even this production, like I could go to law school or I could do this or I could do that. And I find that really empowering, especially when you start seeing it in places where like you just didn't think that it was possible. And you're like, wait, it is It like just changes your mindset. 
Yeah, I mean, I never even I've well, I've never seen the like a, a Broadway production of of Legally Blonde, but I just that never would have even that thought never would have popped in my head that they would have cast someone other than a blonde white lady. You know, I mean, that's just that's just the when you think of Elle Woods, that's what you think of, but that doesn't need to be who Elle mm-hmm. Woods is, right? It's just a character. Anybody can play the role. Unless there's something like really intrinsically in the character yeah. that Black Panther. Well, yeah, that's it. Black. You know, there's, there's yeah. so many other characters we're seeing even in like the the new um, Wakanda Forever trailer that like Namor, the, that character is being played by like a Mexican American yeah. man. And I'm like, that's like, I would have never thought that that's possible. But now that I'm seeing these things that I'm like watching stuff and I'm like, why is everybody in this show white? Why is hmm, right? Yeah. What, it, it, what if, it makes you think. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes you think. <laughs> That's interesting you say that because when I watch shows now, I'm recognizing how, you know, I can relate to a certain character because they've had a similar experience or they come from a similar background. But when I was younger, it wasn't, I mean, it's not, it wasn't something I really thought about. Do you know why you're much more conscious about it now? Is it just because of age or is it the work that you do? I think some of it is the work that I do and, and just, also starting to see like actual changes happening. Like I think there's been a lot of, I don't know, history making casting choices and things like that in recent years or, or seeing like big changes. And I don't know, like the fact that crazy rich Asians is like the, was like the first movie in like 30 years that was made for American audiences that was led by an all Asian cast, like to see like things like that. I'm like, Oh you know, maybe that's not something I thought about when I was young. Like I was just watching like Disney Channel. So I wasn't really like focused on a lot of things, I guess. But then when I like start looking at all the other things going on in like film and television, I'm like, oh, wow, that is 30 years. This is only the second time that that's happened in, in film. Like, you know, I start, you know, you just start noticing these things, I guess, um, and, and being more aware of stuff. So I think part of it is is the industry that I'm in, but also part of it is just like they're finally being like, big changes being made, which I think there can always be more, but you know, it's happening. So that's exciting. Any thoughts on why it's so difficult and why so much time has to pass to have more representation? Yeah. Could you help us understand why? Why is it so hard? I think it comes down to the higher, higher ups and what they're seeing perform well and what they're, you know, and then kind of um, who's allowed kind of in the door, you know? So it's like, you know, we can be like, oh yeah, we want to see more stories centered around people of color or people of different body types or people of different gender identities. And we can all like try to champion for that. But then if the person who's like the, the head of, you know, whatever company is still like a straight white man that doesn't really care and just wants you know, whatever's gonna do well in the box office, regardless of trying other things, doing the thing that's like the proven easy project, you know, then it's hard, I think, to break through. Because I do think that there are a lot of people that want to see that. And it just comes to like, okay, well, now we need those people in these leadership positions that can actually make that change. And it's, it's hard to break in, I think, and especially in the entertainment industry, it's hard to break into every aspect of it, you know, whether it's journalism or acting or directing or writing, like, it's just, it's like so hard to get in. That's why these jobs are like so competitive and we never get a chance to, and I don't know, I just feel like, as people of color, it's it's even harder then because you have that like added barrier of like, not only is it hard, but it's hard to get past like this mindset of like, 
we've for the last hundreds and hundreds of years only had like basically straight white men running this industry and trying to change that. Yeah, it's like the the traditional roles that you may see, like certain minorities in, whether they be whether it's ethnically or whether it's women or whether it's LGBTQ, it, it's they're usually in in particular roles that are not, I mean, you know, historically not in leading roles, right? They're usually like possibly comic relief or just like a, a side story. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the writing and it's probably, you know, the producing and and everything. But now I think that I've seen a shift where stories are, are, you know, like storylines are more centered on particular characters who are more diverse as opposed to back in the day. Totally. And then I think it comes down to not only like centering those actors, but also like, again, having the people behind the scenes writing those stories, because an example is just the, the TV show, The Bold Type, that was on Freeform, you know, you had this story, one of the characters that it was centered on was like this queer Black woman who was trying to make her way through like the social media industry and like a magazine. And they had this very weird storyline that was clearly not written by a Black woman or a person of color where she was dating a queer Muslim woman and then like literally like got into a cop's face about the person that she was dating. And I'm just like, I don't see any storyline where a, a Black woman would feel comfortable confronting a cop and getting in his face in this society that we currently like live in. And yeah, so it, just, it felt very tone deaf watching a scene like that. And then it became very clear that like, that's because it wasn't written by anyone who had that experience who would like maybe be like, actually, maybe we should check this and like alter the storyline a little bit so it makes more sense. I think eventually down the line in, in later seasons, they ended up trying to to fix aspects of that. But then it's just like, well, if we had just had people of that experience yeah, yeah. Um, writing it to begin with, you know, you would have had maybe a more authentic story that connected with people and made sense and gave someone an opportunity and just told a more realistic story versus what quote unquote people think that experience is like so i think like it, maybe in, like maybe they wanted to tell the story because they really wanted to like make an impact but just the idea that like the person who didn't have that experience they didn't really know they're just guessing what that experience was like maybe negated what they were trying to do a little bit i mean and it's not like there aren't black writers out there <laughs> how hard exactly. it is you know how hard is it to find one yeah I, you know one I think it's also like um, how the industry is kind of like gatekeeping people of color entering certain aspects or maybe most aspects of of the industry. So I was going to say it reminds me of Kim's Convenience, where, you know, in the beginning, there's a lot of writing, you know, stories, you know, Korean family. Um, so you had writers who, you know, are Korean or, or other a- Asian ethnicities and and then over time, you know, through seasons, things start to change. The right, you know, people in the writer's room change. It's no longer as much of an influence, you know, in terms of Asian writers and even production wise. And so you can clearly see like the shift throughout the show. And then in the end, the storyline becomes, you know, more stale. It's more, I guess, stereotypical in a way, because yeah, you don't have the right people in the room writing the stories of the people, um, of the characters in the show. hundred percent. You know, I'm curious as to how did you get 
into this field? And why a film critic? That's a really unique perspective to have. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, I have always loved entertainment and the arts. I grew up doing a lot of musical theater. You know, I, I love reading and writing and, you know, film and television, music, all of that stuff. And so I wanted to find a way that I could kind of kind of put all that together into a career. And um, I studied journalism and was like, okay, maybe I could be like a, a broadcast journalist or something, like be on air. And, you know, they would always say, oh, if you want to do that, you need to like make your own opportunities, like film yourself doing stand up somewhere, film yourself doing, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, what if I just like filmed my thoughts and put them out into the world? And like, you know, I would review movies or TV shows or do like breakdowns and put them on YouTube. And um, I, I've been doing that for almost 10 years. And from there, like in the middle of the pandemic, I was kind of like, I want to find a way to like talk to more people about things that I'm passionate about, but specifically raising more awareness for like diversity and representation and inclusion, because I kept feeling like as a Latina in the space that it was really hard to break in and get access. Like after doing, you know, reviews and, and interviews for like 10 years, I, only in the pandemic have I really started getting access or getting reached out to, oh, do you want a, a screener? Do you want to do this interview? You know, like it took a lot to break through. And so I wanted to then be able to use my voice to, you know, help amplify other people's voices. And that's kind of where I launched my podcast and have had people on to talk about uh, their careers and representation and, and kind of their feelings on how, you know, why, you know, we're, we're not maybe necessarily seeing perhaps like great success in like Latino shows, for instance, sticking around very long, or maybe, you know, how we are seeing certain changes that are really impactful in certain communities. So it's been like very enlightening. I feel like I learn a lot from the people that I've spoken with and just learned about how like, you know, maybe the opportunities they've had were stereotypical at first and then allowed them to then make changes for other people moving forward in their careers, which I think is really exciting. And so, you know, um, I just love, you know, entertainment in general, and I love having a chance to be able to like learn more and, and also share that with other people. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool because you're breaking barriers, you know, like you said, as a Latina and, you know, I mean, I, I don't really know the statistics of, you know, how Latinas are represented or any minorities are represented um, specifically in the film critic world. But anecdotally, my when I think of a film critic, it's like an older white male or an older white female. So, and like you said, it was hard. It took 10 years to get recognized. Mm -hmm. You know, props to you for that first. That is Thank a really you. long time to, to, yeah, to break in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it takes a while, especially like trying to do it in a non-traditional way. Like, obviously, I'm I'm like a social media strategist, you know, and so that's kind of the way I went in was like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, podcasting, things like that versus like, you know, getting a traditional job at a, you know, outlet. But yeah, there I mean, there are is like a huge discrepancy in like the amount of female critics versus male critics in the industry and especially people of color. Like it's, it's just like 
the numbers are like crazy. I'm like trying to see if I can find, there was like an article that came out Mm -hmm. earlier in the year that was talking about like the huge imbalance, but like off the top of my head, it's something like 68% men versus like 32% women. Like it's, it's very, and I think there are places where they're trying to like fix that or like help that in some way. Like there's definitely been like film festivals like Sundance who are trying to do like initiatives, diversity initiatives to like get more diverse people like access to their film festivals and and giving them stipends and trying to help them in different ways, which is always amazing. But, you know, there's also like this weird sometimes balance of places trying to help, but in doing so sort of adding more layers of division. Like there's a lot of press companies that are like, well, we're a multicultural press versus and so then it's like you're separated now into like you're the multicultural journalist versus like a regular journalist and so multicultural is everybody and then regular journalist is just the white people so it's a little sometimes it's a little weird but um you know i think we we just have to keep pushing to try to break those those barriers down and like get the access where we can and get our voices out there as best we can to keep trying to move the needle yeah i, I guess i'm really curious about I mean, you mentioned the fact that there are less uh, women, right, and less minorities in terms of film critics. Does that have an effect on how a film is reviewed? You know, oh, like, wow. is there any, yeah, like, culturally, is the film then seen differently? Oh, I think 100%. Because when you have, I feel like when you have, for the majority, straight white men reviewing movies, then when then when you have certain movies that maybe um, is, that's not, the demographic and that's all who's reviewing it and putting it on, you know, their, their reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like it skews things a hundred percent. And I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think of like an example, but like, you know, maybe for like, um, you know, a rom-com that maybe is maybe not that demographic or, or even, you know, a film like, I think, you know, maybe, maybe there's certain films that are like a little bit more geared towards certain minority groups than, if those people are not having their voices heard and counted in the criticism there of whatever that is, maybe there's people who are sharing their thoughts, but it's skewed a little bit with a bias of like, okay, well, this is maybe not a movie that's generally something that I would watch. And now I'm, you know, reviewing it because this is, you know, the people who's reviewing it and maybe it it skews a little higher or lower than you would expect. I think a lot of people, for instance, um, I think sometimes when you have like maybe a movie, a generalization, because I haven't actually seen it, but like Nope by Jordan Peele, right? Um, You'll have very divisive comments on either side. And then you sometimes see like, okay, maybe a Black critic being like, well, everyone's giving it a positive review because they don't want to seem racist or maybe vice versa. Maybe the person's not understanding, uh, you know, white critics, maybe not understanding the message or the story from like this creative's perspective and maybe giving it again, like either really positive or really negative review that maybe they don't connect with. Certain things like uh, Antebellum, when that movie came out, I feel like there was a lot of black critics who were like, did not like this movie. And there was a lot of white critics that were like, oh, well, like I'm gonna give it a positive review, right? Because I'm not racist. But then, you know, there's black critics that are like, well, this movie is just another trauma story. And I don't like that. You know, why is it that all of our stories be about traumatic things? I think that's also like a, a huge 
thing is that like a lot of stories centered around like Latinos and and Black people and and Asian people are like the struggle, and it's like right, we yeah. have other things going on in life other than the struggle. You know, that's why I enjoy seeing like the, I feel like there's been a lot of really great like streaming movies to all the boys I loved before, where it's like an Asian girl getting her love story. You know, it's not just about the struggle or um a show never have i ever with the exactly. indiana um american teenager i mean i, I mean to see that is that still going on mm-hmm. okay i wonder season. i was gonna ask you about that so that's not my favorite like indian american led tv show that I've, I've seen i really like i feel bad which was with somebody else which was on air for one season and it was gone do you think the producer and what kind of weight that they have makes makes a difference because never have I ever and the show's okay but Mindy Kaling is behind it I guess it really depends because I mean sometimes you have you know like a name like Mindy Kaling and it does well and sometimes you have a name like um Gloria Calderon Kellett who I feel like you know that name has a lot of weight too and yet one day at a time like continue to struggle every season with like are they going to bring it back are they going to bring it back so I don't know. I feel like some of it is how is it performing? Some of it is maybe like who's behind it. And then some of it is just like, is it good enough that we want to keep it around? Like, I, I think there's like a lot of elements, I guess, in that case, because I will agree, like never have I ever is not a show that I've like loved, but it continues to come back for, you know, season after season. But also I feel like in like the most recent, even just like in the last year, like Netflix has been very cancel have things that it's, are like it's getting ridiculous. critical acclaim it's terrible it. it's terrible like i refuse to even start a new show on netflix because i just think it's going to get canceled i feel like it's my fault like if i watch it it gets canceled <laughs> you you feel like you're jinxing it like everything that i like on netflix has been canceled yeah i mean and and i have like theories on like why that is and i don't know like i think some of it is due to like them wanting one everything to be like a word of mouth win they don't want to have to put the promotion behind it but then they want it to be like the next squid game or the next the queen's gambit which both of those didn't have promotion behind them which is you know exactly i think exactly what they want um but then also you i just can't like i can't imagine squid game season two having the same or more like global phenomenon status that this first season had like i just i don't understand how they could possibly go bigger so like in terms of numbers so i just feel like they they think that they will with these projects and then when they don't with a certain show like the babysitter's club or julian the phantoms or you know diary of future president you know that's a different uh streamer but like when they don't get those numbers even though they might be like critically acclaimed and like connecting with people they're like well these are just for like young people like we don't need it like we'll cancel it like whatever we we're trying to get the next squid game and i just think that does like a disservice to like everyone else who's watching stuff because not everyone watches all the same things and like some people want to watch those like you know fun critically acclaimed shows that also you know have great representation even if they're not like the next squid game numbers you know I mean, like after the whole archive 81 thing where that got canceled after one season, I was just like, I'm, I'm just done. Like, I thought it was a very good show. 
it, it, you know, was like critically acclaimed. Um, but I don't, I don't even know what happened there. I thought like it was, it was just great. But um, like yeah. I said, everything I watch gets canceled. So, mm-hmm. you know, back to like what we were saying before, which is like, it kind of depends on also like what it is. Right. And, and what somebody's interpretation of it is like, I did see antebellum and mm-hmm. I was like, at first I was like, oh, this isn't bad. And then as it progressed, I was like, this, no, this is just, a, this is the same thing over and over and over again. And you're right. It does seem like the struggle stories seem to do really, really well, but um, you know, it, it might work for some audiences, but me personally, I don't want to see a struggle all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I really want to see positive stories, like normal, regular people living their normal, regular lives. And I, I I was talking to Chandi about this the other day, which is like there were there was like a period of time. It was like maybe like the 90s, early 2000s, where there were a decent amount of shows that, you know, had like just like the positive family element um, with, you know, like a wide array of, of different types of characters. Uh, and and they did really, really well for a while. But then. I mean, they're mostly on like UPN and, and WB and they're even someone Nickelodeon, like for kids shows, but it seemed like that era ended abruptly. <laughs> and like, we have not gotten back to that same spot in terms of uh, television with representation, which is interesting. Yeah, it is. You know, there, there was a lot of really good stuff back, back in the day. Taina on Nickelodeon. That was a good one. Fresh Prince, Family Matters, Living Single. Like maybe we, I don't know, maybe I guess we fluctuate. <laughs> but um, yeah. And, and all of those, pro- you know, a lot of those projects were, were written by, by people who I think were trying to make, you know, stories that really represented people. And I think that's where like, what we were talking about, like seeing all like the trauma stories or like the struggle stories. It's like, I feel like what's so important about representation and like inclusion and, and, and whatnot is that it not only like allows you to see yourself, but kind of also informs how you feel about yourself and how others treat you, you know? So like when you see like a story and it's like very stereotypical, like that's, kind of like letting people know like yeah that's that's what it's like for you know this community right like so you can treat them this way or this is this is how it's this is how it should be right and I think that like can be very limiting you know especially when you're you know you know the the way that you're seeing people being treated or the you know or only seeing stories that are about trauma getting rewarded with you know awards and things like that it's like so is that what you think all you know black and brown and 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 whatnot people deal with every day and should be dealing with you know yeah and if they're not being represented so the lack of you know lack of seeing someone who looks like you um or who was you know raised like you Mm -hmm. can make it seem like you don't matter yeah or make people think oh like I feel like you see, you hear so many things with people like they needed to make this person, you know, LGBTQ or they needed to add an Asian person or they needed to add a Latino person. And it's like, well, I don't know about you, but in my world, like 
majority of the people are Latino. <laughs> not your, I don't know, maybe not in your world, but like in the world I'm in, like a lot of the people are Latino. So like, why would there only be one? Or like, why would right. there only be one gay guy? Like, I mean, that literally doesn't make sense. Like people yes. have groups of friends or family and like they get together and like, you know, so when they're like, oh, well, you have the one, the one person representing, it's like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's unrealistic. I mean, I was I was joking with Chanda yesterday about like um, South Park and they have the character Token. And like, well, you know, the reason for that is like, the, you know, he's the token black kid in, in the show. Um, and like, you know, the writers are aware of that. It's like people don't think about that. Like, you know, when the people who are writing these shows in the, you know, they're in the room, they're thinking about what they know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the three of us, right. Watching those, those shows would be like, but that's not my reality necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are, those are like afterthoughts. They're not even really, you know, part of the the main story. They're just like, let's throw this in. And I, it's, I mean, you know, as a kid, you know, yeah, there were a bunch of shows, right. That I mentioned like in the nineties and early two thousands, but there still wasn't like, you know, you could just like, turn on the TV and just see yourself everywhere, right? You couldn't see people that looked like you or, or sounded like you or, or families that looked like you in, in, in like every movie, right? It, it, like, and so it's just, it's like an unrealistic portrayal of like the world around us. And then, I mean, when you think about it, like when you have a show like, I don't know, with a lot of you know latinos in the cast or a mostly black cast it's always touted as like a black led movie or a latino led tv show an asian led tv show but when white people are in it all it's just a tv show so right yeah it's 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 just a normal show it's like but that's the whole thing it's like it shouldn't be that it's about it, it like and i i mentioned this we talked about this too before which is like to me i watch things because i like them and I don't watch things just because there's there are black people in it or there are Hispanic people in it or there are Asian people. Like that's not why I watch anything. I watch something because I want to watch it and because I think it's good. And you know, I, I I don't know about anybody else, but that's just how I go about the things that I choose to watch. Um, I don't watch something just because it has certain people in it or they do certain things. Like I I like to find like movies and shows of substance that I connect with. Um, and so I, you know, seeing people who look like me would be normal, right? It, it's like, I'm not thinking of it as like a minority led show in any way. But I think when people do say that, I like, you know, the Latino led TV show, it's a, you know, what I think that deters people. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I yeah. think that there's other people that are like, maybe not as open that are like, oh, I don't want to watch that. That's, that's right. not for well, me. Right. Because, yeah, the understanding is that it's not for you. Really, it's for everybody. And and I think we need to somehow break away from thinking of of like shows in that way, which mm-hmm. I, I mean, obviously it's not can't even say it's our problem. But <laughs> but it's 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 I don't know, like, how do we get to a point? Well, will we ever get to a point, do you think, where this will just be like it'll just be a TV show? I don't know. I don't know. That's a, I mean, it would be great. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I but feel I feel like, like likelihood. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if people are even thinking about that. Like how, how we just like, 
you know, brought that up. Like, I don't know if other people are thinking like, oh, wait, you're right. Like, I am less likely to watch a show when they say it's like Latino. Like, I wonder if that's something people even like think about. Um, So, no, I mean, it's like maybe like a subconscious thing. Yeah. Or do do you think it's they feel like they can't relate to it in some way? I think Um, so. Even though like literally everybody's been relating with white led stories for like the existence of Hollywood, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) I think you should be able to watch a story about pretty much anyone and find some type of universality in pretty much every story. Like you should be able to connect. And if you can't, because the person is in the LGBTQ plus community or because they're, you know, not the same ethnicity as you, like that, that just seems like that's a problem for that person (laughs) versus like, you know, they, maybe they need to learn how to be a little bit more open if everyone else can connect with white stories, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's like their stories. I don't want to say their, but it's just like, they're the dominant story, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and yeah, yeah, I think it, I mean, I can, I can see where like, if you're the dominant culture, it might be really hard for you to understand. Like, but you know, yes, you know, other people exist, but when you see a group of them all at once in a movie or television show, it makes you like possibly uncomfortable because you're not used to that. So if you think about that in reverse, it's like, okay, so maybe other people are, you know, like the fact that we're so used to not seeing ourselves, you know, it's just not a thought that probably crosses their mind at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in your podcast, with the people that the, you, in your podcast with your guests, the people that you interview, what's a common thread that you see or notice? Hmm. Um, I would say a common thread that I notice is people feeling like they didn't see themselves and they weren't sure how they were going to kind of like break into the industry or people or or also having to like find their community because maybe there were people who like underestimated them and didn't feel like they could do it. Um, you know, and so they kind of had to like find their like support. And then I think also people just feeling like, I mean, especially I would say in, in a lot of the the discussions I've had with other like Latinos in the industry is this feeling of like, it's so hard to sort of tackle the Latino experience because there's so many different types of Latinos, you know, and everyone's always like, we're not a monolith. We're not a monolith. And it's like, I, I get that. But also like the idea that like, it would be great to like support each other, you know, because like, like very often, like you see a lot of stories, maybe around one or two different types of like Latino identities. And there's so much more out there. And it's sort of like, um, like I had a, I had a conversation with um, Jessica Marie Garcia, who was on, on my block and um, like live in Maddie. And she was just saying how like, she feels like Latinos don't support each other. And so then like, when you see a story about like a certain type of Latino family, like let's say like a Mexican family, if you didn't relate to every single thing in that story, you're like, no, I, that that's not realistic. I don't like it. And then you, you kind of cancel it, you know, or like you don't give it the space or the energy. Whereas like, there's been tons of stories again about the white experience, you know, uh, 
the experience of uh, you know white character that like you know maybe it sucks but everyone you know everyone gives it a chance you know or like there's been so many stories from those experiences that they just keep trying over and over again and you know it's like they don't give a story about like maybe a a Latino person a real chance to like go somewhere so I thought that was very interesting and that she really also wanted to see more like Afro-Latino representation as well. And, you know, there's just a lot of, I mean, I think she's right. Just a lot of like, you know, people not supporting each other. And so then like when someone gets the chance, then it doesn't succeed. And it's, and then everyone's like, why did it get canceled? And it's because like nobody wanted to support, but yeah. Really thought about the, the non-support aspect of it. Yeah. She was just saying how like people get very critical and I, I get that. And like, I get wanting to be critical in a way that like helps things do better. Maybe not necessarily in like a negative way, but like in a more helpful way. But I think sometimes it can get very like negative and then, you know, everything gets canceled and then we have no shows. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's a, that's, that's actually really important. Yeah. So in terms of minority led TV shows, movies, it's, it's interesting because every minority is different, right? But Mm -hmm. It, the, it seems like the industry is grouping them together. So like, you, can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, I guess maybe in terms of, of the fact that it's like, when there's like an opportunity, it's like you get one person versus like being able to give everybody a chance or like a seat at the table. I mean, I, I guess it really depends on the situation because I do feel like there are there are places where we are starting to see like changes or what we hope are, are changes, but it's just like very slow moving and yeah just it feels like yeah we could give one person a a shot but then like that negates like everybody else you know when I think we all can you know have a seat at the table or or build our own tables and and you know all have a space um and not have to like be competing with each other to um you know get our stories out there or to um you know represent for our communities in terms of like uh production companies and things like that um is it more difficult to get minority production companies and things out there like their 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 films and their television shows i mean i guess it depends you know maybe a little bit on on what we were talking before of like who's behind it you know right and you got someone like mindy kaling pushing for you for your you know for True. like a certain show and, and talent i think in that aspect um but yeah i think there's you know definitely difficulties in like starting something from the ground up on your own and trying to get get your work out there I mean we could probably even say that for like you know our respective podcasts you know it's like you're trying to build something you're trying to like um get voices out there and it's like are people seeing this or you know are hoping people are seeing our (laughs) what we're trying to do and I think that's probably the similar case with like you know trying to get those stories out there as well you know like we said this industry is just like not only is it just like competitive in general but yeah you know, then it's like trying to break those like systemic barriers yeah. as well yeah it is like yeah it's probably really difficult i mean because once you have independent films you right, it's it's not as much money thrown into it so it, it's harder to to push them out and like yeah we were talking about one day at a time before i mean that has rita moreno mm-hmm. and you know, it, getting, mm-hmm. it was like, is this going to be canceled every season or are we going to get more? Like, what's happening? Why is this so complicated? Like, just give us, give us the show. 
Yeah. And eventually did, right? Get canceled. I don't remember when, but yeah. So what do you know about what's coming out, I guess, in the fall that might be really exciting to watch? Well, I mean, we know that Black Panther uh, Wakanda Forever is coming out and that's going to be centering not only just, you know, the the black voices of, of the people of Wakanda, but also uh, Namor, who's like a new superhero coming in. That's like kind of the equivalent of like Aquaman. And he's going to be um, played by uh, a Latino Mexican um, actor, which is really exciting, you know, because they didn't have to go that way. You know, like it, they could have really cast anyone. And if you're going to be like stereotypical, like you could have just cast like a white guy in that role. And to see that they like made the distinctive choice to be like, we're going into this sequel of Black Panther and we're going to have like, we're going to continue centering black and brown people is like really cool. Um, so that is very exciting. Um, oh, there's um, another show coming out, um, Lopez versus Lopez, where George Lopez and his daughter are going to be like in a sitcom opposite each other, which seems really fun. Um, you know, bringing George Lopez back to, you know, Sitcom. Yeah, I was just like thinking the other day, like I, I kind of miss his show because <laughs> um, I, I really did like it. But yeah, that's actually I didn't know about that one. That's, that sounds kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, his sitcom it, it, that was in the mid 2000s, right? George Lopez with Constance Marie. Oh, that's pretty cool that he's doing it with his daughter. So his daughter yeah. is a comedian, too, an actress. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Very exciting. Wow. Um, so, you know, I guess they're just, you know, a talented family. Those are some that I like. I got off the top of my head. I'm like, I don't even know what else is coming out this year. I forget. Um, but yeah. So. I don't even know what's coming out in the fall. I have to. I, I stop paying attention. I have too much work to do than to watch TV. But um, yeah, you know. But like TV, you know, I, I think. Last year, a couple of years ago, they were saying like TV is in its golden age. And this was even before COVID, um, right? Just people are wanting to watch more TV shows. Interesting. Because I was, I was, you know, like you were talking about, like they say that this is the golden age of television. And it's interesting because, you know, nobody's really watching their television. Everybody's watching like Netflix and Hulu and, and Amazon Prime Video and Paramount Plus and whatever else is out there. And all like the good shows, not all the good shows, but a lot of good shows show up on those um, streaming sites. Uh, and I don't know, like I don't find myself actually watching my TV. Like TV watching has changed so much in, in the past few years that yeah you know like and it's interesting because it also aids in in canceling shows like i noticed that some shows that i did watch on on like actual network television right they weren't getting the same amount of like views like i mean people would, might watch them on demand because you watch them when you come home from work or when you find free time and so nobody's just watching them once they're actually like premiering on tv and yeah, I mean, uh, there are a lot of really good shows. It's it's different, though, because now, like, you have to have that specific streaming service to watch the good show. Um, and I think that that's part of it, too. People also having to, like, you know, no offense to Netflix, but raising your prices every other year. I mean, it goes up and people then, like, it's it's the question of, is there something to watch? Because then people are like, well, 
you know, I'm paying for this, but I don't, I can't, I can't find anything to watch. So it's also knowing what shows are good and the promotion of those shows helps too. Well, I think, well, but by the golden age of TV, what they mean is like shows, which I, I yeah, no I, one's really watching TV. But, no, I, yeah. I know what they mean by shows, but I'm saying it's, it's like, you can call it the golden age, but um, they might be really good shows, but unless you have every service that all these shows are coming out on, I like, I'm not going to just get Paramount power Paramount plus just because there's a really good show on it. Like there needs to be a lot of good shows on it. There needs to be a lot of good content on it, I guess. So like the access yeah. to the show is different is what I'm saying. So like, yeah, there's really great shows, but they're not just on your TV. You can't just flip to whatever station and find all of these really great shows if they're on streaming services. So that's, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. So like with streaming services, you have to have at least two to even kind of like, you know, find a good solid number of shows that you want to watch. Um, and that's how they market it too, I think. So Kristen, wh what are the shows that you like to watch? Well, let me bring up my list. <laughs> she was, wow, that was quick. She was waiting for this one. That's what she was. She okay. was like, this, this is, this podcast is so boring. Oh my God. I no. have this list ready. No, I'm kidding. No, no. Um, okay, so I have been very into um, The Summer I Turned Pretty, which is on Amazon Prime. It's centered around an Asian-American family, and they, like, go to the summer. Uh, they go to this, like, beach every summer with, like, the woman's best friend mm -hmm. and her family. And so it's like this girl kind of like a coming of age, like she's having a glow up. She's got a crush on these two brothers. Who will she choose? You know, very like, as we were saying, centered around an Asian girl and also not about trauma, but about cute romance and like going to the drive-in and like going in the pool and like getting ice cream. And it's great. So um, another one, The Gordita Chronicles, is great. That's on HBO Max. That's centered around a Dominican family in, like, I think it's the 80s. And they move to Miami from the Dominican Republic. And they're kind of just like, it's kind of like an Everybody Hates Chris or like a Wonder Years or something like that, where it's like, um, you know, someone narrating the past and kind of talking about what it was like growing up and, you know, a lot of goofy stories, you know, experiencing Halloween for the first time or like, you know, trying to fit in at school. Um, and so th those are, you know, two um, stories centered around like families of color or like people of color that are, you know, not, not traumatic and just fun and, um, you know, just a good time. Um, Another one that's really fun that came out recently is First Kill. I don't know if you guys heard of that one, but it's like, mm -hmm. yes. uh, it's like, yeah, yes. it's like Romeo and Juliet meets Killing Eve, but like young adult. And it's like these yeah. two girls, one's a vampire, one's a um, monster vampire hunter. Vampire hunter, yeah. They're monster <laughs> hunter, yeah. yeah. for each other. Um, so great. Um you know queer representation and the this this the show itself was you know not okay. perfect but there was a lot of great like lore in there and like world building potential that i thought was yeah. really fun i thought it progressed too fast for for the first season mm -hmm. like it went a little yeah. too much yeah but yeah not, not bad yeah what like fun. did they get married 
or something? No, like they like <laughs> there's certain shows where like like so it reminds me of like the reboot of Charmed where it's like you threw way too much into the first season. And I'm like, mm, but you could have stretched this out and it could like it literally could have taken up three seasons. Like that, there's too much going on in one yeah, season. I would say with Charmed, though, that was an that was more of a uh, higher ups issue where they didn't like where the story was going, even though everyone else did. And so then they like had like two different sets of showrunners come in. They like soft re- rebooted it like every season. Um, the final season was great, unfortunately, because it was the final one. But <laughs> it was like a yeah. lot of a lot of like back and forth, like with higher up kind of stuff going on there, um, which is unfortunate because then it's like it just makes you think about like, wow, what what are shows that like maybe could have been really great, but because of like yeah. so much meddling with like you know, behind the scenes, that's what led to like certain storylines not working out or, you know, completely like just overhauling entire shows. And it just like, it's such a detriment because you're like, this could have been really cool. Yeah. And then just like, you know, had all these people that, that wouldn't let it be great. Um, yeah. yeah I was, I, I was really rooting for that one. <laughs> I was yeah. really rooting for Charmed. <laughs> yeah. I well, feel like I know too much about it. <laughs> like the top 1% ruling the world. Well, the top one percent is ruling the, or top one percent of the company ruling the industry. So, I, 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 I want. I feel bad. No one's watched that, huh? Yeah, I've never even heard of it. Like, yeah, I actually haven't either. Oh God, it's where so can great. we find this? Talk about it. Where can we find this? Hold on, I have to actually Google it. Got to get my oh things my right. Come on, you should know oh, this already. Oh, I do know. You know, I it? don't. Know. I know who you're ref- like who's in it. Like now that I'm okay. I like it and I see the, the oh. actress. Where did I watch it? Okay, I watched it on Amazon Prime. And um I just thought it was, you know, I just thought it was a cute family, Indian mom, Indian American mom, um, who's married to a white guy. And oh my god, he's funny. And you know, they have kids, and it's just about her being a working mom. She's a video game like executive or something, and he's a stay-at-home dad. And also <laughs> her mom lives with them, and how the mom and the dad, her mom and her husband, um, they they get along fine. It's just a really cute story. So come back. I feel bad. <laughs> How many seasons has that had? That's had one season so far, or one? Okay, it was so. Sad. Well, it's 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 on Amazon, right? So like, there's a good chance that it will have a second season. <laughs> I think that show is from 2018. Yeah, it's oh, not recent. No. Yeah. Oh, I, never mind that. Yeah, it's I done. watched it it's when done. it first came out, and I'm still talking about it. Obviously, I I'm a fan. I I used to have this like policy for myself, which is like if it doesn't have more than like two seasons, I don't watch it. Um, but that changed like you know over the last few years. But then I might go back to that policy just because of like canceled shows. Because it's just happening so frequently. Every time you watch one, it's getting canceled. I mean, what was what else was I like? I was watching. There was that like show with Drew Barrymore that was on Netflix where she was like the the zombie. I can't remember what it's called right now. Oh, oh, Santa Clarita Diet. And then I was like, this did not need to get canceled, like at all. Um, Maybe in the first season. The first season I thought was rough. It got better. No, yeah, it did. It did. That's the thing. Was like Netflix used to like, 
they used to be like the first season was trash and they'd be like let's renew it for like three more seasons better and i was like okay so that's the whole thing like season one is bad and season two is good and then the rest will be will be better and now they don't even do that now now it's just like cancel everything even the stuff that's good in the first season yeah i feel like oh it's the first season it was great that's it we're done we don't need anything else like (laughs) it's almost like they're um testing audiences I feel like, I mean, this is a little conspiracy, like, but they have like a few shows that are out only to test audiences and then they're done after but, one But they're season. so expensive though. Like it's, it's expensive to do all of that. Yeah. Like it really is. It is, but I wonder like how expensive is it to do like the six to 10 episodes versus like when it used to be like 22 episodes, you know, like maybe True. it's, maybe it's not as expensive now that like they now that they've like i mean they're the ones that basically have made that format where it's like oh you could have a show that's like four episodes long and that's it you know like or or 10 episodes or six or eight you know it's not like how it used to be so it's interesting because they call it a mini series here but in a lot of british shows like the average season is eight episodes yeah which is i mean that used to drive me nuts like watching like let's say like in betweeners or something and I'm like, why are there like, there's like no episodes in this season and you don't even call it a season, you call it a series. I just, I don't know. But yeah, I guess like just their culture in terms of like shows and how they structure them are just very, very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Kristen, what's your, um, what do the, I feel like an interview, uh, I feel like a job interview. Like what, what do the next five years look like for you? Wait. <laughs> okay, let me say that without like laughing because it really did sound like a job interview, but curious it did, about it. Did. Yeah. So what are you hoping to see in the next five years in your industry, in the work that you do? I'm hoping for more access, like across the board, like just seeing more people like us, like in in everything, everywhere, whether it's like on the screen, behind the scenes, in criticism. Um, I'm hoping to see like, um, you know, just, you know, more people being able to tell like their authentic stories and like getting them, like getting a chance to like tell them for a while, you know, like we, we get so many like 11 season shows of like the most boring stuff, (laughs) like, like show us, show us, you know, giving giving people a chance to to tell their stories that you know can actually like connect with people and and like resonate with people in a meaningful way um in and you know in the ways that we said of like it doesn't always have to be like a traumatic thing it could just be like a goofy funny love story or like you know someone trying to achieve their goals or something like that um that's what i want to see like i just want it to be like normal where like you watch a show and like you're, you don't have to point out like, oh, there's only one person of color or there's like, there's the two on the side over there. Like I wanted to, I want to be able to like watch stuff and be like, you know, wow, this is so refreshing that like they, they casted this person that like maybe a couple of years ago we would not have seen in this kind of role. And now like anybody can have the chance to play any kind of role if it makes sense for them, you know? Um, Cause that's the thing, like, I mean, they say like, oh, just pick the person who's best for the role or just pick whoever's like the, you know, the right fit and not think about other things. But it's like, like more often than not, regardless, like it's still going to be a white person, like, you know? And so it's like, 
there are, but there are like so many other people in the world that like can, can do that as well. So like, who's actually really the right fit for the role? Like, could, could anybody really do this? Let's, let's really like make that happen. You know, I want to see more things like that. Those Legally Blonde productions where like, it's just like someone that you, you know, it isn't like, I want it to be so normalized that it's not weird to be like, whoa, wait, what? This is, this is a person of color playing this role. Like, I just wanted to be like, yeah, of course they, they could they play any role. They could be in anything. So that's what I'm hoping to see. Um, yeah. What about you guys? So, you know, kind of to piggyback on what you said, yeah, more representation in all aspects, but specifically for me, the higher ups, you know, mm-hmm. if the higher ups are older white men or white women, they're making the decisions and it's, it's from the top down. So more diversity up there mm-hmm. because that I think will have a tr- trickle effect. I'm hoping it at least does. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And more, um, I mean, also more people, like people of color, women of color and podcasting. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's, you don't see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, now that I think about it, I don't think I listen to any podcasts <laughs> that are like, oh. um, that are, yeah, like hosts or, or you know, majority of the guests are minorities. I didn't even think about that until literally just now. Let me put you on to not just my podcast. Although I was going to say, I will listen yes. to yours, of course. Yes, we will. Um, but also my friend Steffi hosts a podcast called Diva Dailies where she she's Filipino and she breaks down like the divas of film, television and music. Um, oh, nice. And it's so fun. Like she, her, her stuff is so analytical and it's she's just so smart. And um, she'll like like a couple of se- I guess it was in her first season. We like did a whole dissection of like Spice World and like the Spice Girls. And it was great. Um <laughs> Oh, <laughs> who's, okay. Who's That's the really diva fun. there? All of them. I, yeah, I figured. What? I figured. What? So, so okay. As a whole. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so I'll put you on to, to her. I recommend. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely <laughs> give that a listen. I mean, when it comes to like, you know, film and television, I'm really interested in like the storyline. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how, I guess, more, you know, unique stories rather than just like the cookie cutter stuff that we're used to can kind of get thrown into the mix. And we can see diversity in, in storylines and in, in character writing, character building. Um, like I'm, I'm, I'm a big like horror fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and horror is really interesting in terms of like... <laughs> um representation uh like historically but you know i would like to see that genre grow and be way more diverse i mean it's getting there but i i think it's there's still some work to do like uh, i think was it maybe a couple of years ago when um i want to say bloomhouse did like those series of like films i think they were released on amazon prime and there was like a bunch of different ones there's like evil eye and black box and there's a few more that were yeah, really they interesting. That, they do those every year, every Halloween. Yeah. They they do that, and they do such a good job, um, telling such like di- 
like different stories. Like the ones most recently were like um, Madres was like a story of how it was like a horror story, but then it was like, actually like, this is real, but like about how um, Latina women have been like sterilized without their consent. And it was like, they were telling like a fictional version of it. But then at the end they were like, by the way, this is like real, like this has happened. And like, you know, we're trying to bring awareness. Um, And then there was like another one that was about like um, a young black teenager who like was fighting vampires and stuff. And like, you know, it's just like fun. Um, And I think there's some good ones coming out, not Blumhouse ones, but like um, just horror in general. Like, I mean, Scream, the new Scream, Jenna Ortega, I feel like is is like the next generation of of Scream Queen. Yeah. She's killing it. Um, the new Pretty Little Liars original sin. I was like, how many Pretty Little Liars can we have? <laughs> the third spinoff, but like, it's good. Yeah. And like the entire, like the core group of women is like Latinas, Asians, Black women as like the Pretty Little Liars. And they're like really focused on telling the story through like a female gaze, like horror through a female lens. And I was like, that's so cool. Like, I love that. Yeah, because actually that's, yeah, that's really not that common. That's that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Well, there's just so much out there. I mean, I'm just know, trying to keep up. There's just a lot of a lot of content in general. It's like, geez. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as a critic, how do you filter? Um, do you have a specific um, genre that, you, you know, you gear toward? Uh, specific genre that, you know, you write about? Yeah, I do a lot of, um, I would say like young adult, mystery, thriller. So like that Pretty Little Liars, Original Sin, I've been like working on a video for that. Um, But then I'll do like High School Musical, the musical, the series. And then I'll do like (laughs) Charmed for four seasons. And, you know, it's like a mixture of things. Like I try to, I mean, whatever I'm interested in, you know, I'm not going to force myself to watch something if I don't think it's good, I guess. But like, you know, if I have things, if I have thoughts or opinions, like, you know on things to share but like you know a lot of young adults a lot of thriller a lot of um you know mainstream content but also trying to make sure that like it's inclusive or at least you know making sure that if it if it's something that is um I don't know I guess just like trying to bring awareness to that when possible you know when it fits in because like as much as I'm like want to support and represent um and and um you know bring awareness to like diversity and inclusion i feel like part of that is also covering everything because if i limit myself then i'm then i'm i'm limiting myself you know like if i'm like oh i can only talk about you know latino led projects then like that's literally suppressing <laughs> what i you know the opposite i think of what i should be doing i think i should be covering everything to represent you know and not that just those you know, Latinx Heritage Month, I guess now I can come out of my, you know, cave. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I feel like that's part of it. It's like, we should be able to cover everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, do you find that, I mean, I, like, you cover everything. Do you think that some critics don't? I think it's good to have a niche. Um, I think that can be very helpful. Um and I don't know if everyone should cover everything because like we were talking about before, you know, sometimes it's just not your thing and maybe you're not adding anything insightful to the conversation. Maybe you're just, you know, limiting it. Um, 
So like, you know, there's, there's definitely people I know that are like, I only do blockbusters and like horror and Marvel. And I'm like, cool, that's your thing. <laughs> well, I like those things. Right. I feel like Marvel. Well, I, I mean, I'm literally wearing a Wolverine shirt. So like, <laughs> well, I like those things. I feel like they're not my niche in terms of like, right. cover. like, I don't think anybody cares necessarily what I think, but I think there's other people who I would, who I like to uplift that do talk about those things and are maybe like, you know, people of color or women that I'm like, yeah, go to that person just because I, I feel like they have more to add to the conversation, you know? So I definitely think there's like, um, you know, I don't think it's good to cover everything. It's good to be open-minded, but I think if you're trying right. to cover everything and it's not your thing, you might just be like limiting um, that project when maybe other people might connect with it more than you that's true that's true yeah I mean you're doing so much so you know in the future um I don't know if you've ever thought about I mean you, you talk about um you know Latinos um in this business that they might need a community or support so I don't especially specifically for in, in um the critic world so I don't know if that's ever something that you've ever thought about is kind of building a community around that oh yeah I mean I I'm a part of a community now that's like mostly it's like all women in film and film criticism and that is very helpful to be a part of just because like you know we'll, we'll help each other and be like oh here's a contact for this or like oh are you covering this or you know what are, what are you thinking on about this topic and um I think one thing that I've realized is that we all need to follow up more <laughs> because I think we all get worried as as women of being annoying we're like oh I don't want to like bother this person they didn't respond back and then it's like no like all these other you know midwestern white male critics are following up a thousand times and that's how they get the access so like we're like we can be annoying like we can we should follow up like that's okay and like we have to like remind ourselves of that like it's okay email again so it's just being persistent, right? Um, it, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Kristen, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. This is very fun. Thank yes. you for having me. We'd like to thank Kristen for being on the show today. She gave us some great insight into the importance of having minority representation in the entertainment industry and also in the film critic world. To learn more about her work and to learn more about what she's got going on, check out her website, kristenmaldonado.com, which we'll post in the show notes. She also has a podcast that you definitely should check out called Pop Culture Planet, where she has conversations with guests and analyzes various different themes in pop culture. That's going to do it for this episode of Bound by the Cloak. We'd like to thank you all for tuning in. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram, YouTube. And don't forget, you can also find us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. See you next time. Laters.